This rapacious new breed prowls both alone and in packs, operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Buff Bourguignon, French beef stew in red wine. We're going to serve it with braised onions and mushrooms and a wine dark sauce. A perfectly delicious dish. So we could put in a little more tomato paste or a little more thyme. In this case, we're fortunately find it's just right. Now for the thickening of it. Now we want to get our pan hot and we're going to saute it in this first until it's browned and then we're going to put it in this pot in which we're going to cook it in the oven. Now this is going to go in a 325 oven and it should cook very, very slowly, just at the bare simmer. And once it's in, except for checking the oven to make sure that it isn't bubbling and boiling. You don't have to look at it anymore. Then all let the sauce drain out. And then we simply put the stew back into the casserole. There. You want the flavor of the onions and the beef to all blend themselves with the stew. That's going a little too hard, so I'll put it inside. There. In about two or three minutes, if you have it in the icebox, you can heat it up very slowly and baste the meat with the sauce. And then, and then you cover it and, and simmer it very slowly for about two or three minutes until everything is tender and hot through. Well, now this is ready to serve. Right now. Hello, this is Corey Jean, and you're listening to Eat It and Beat It on the Two True Freaks Network. And just remember, do whatever comes first. Hello, and welcome to Eat It, a half podcast about food. I am Franklin Gullet, and I am here with Hans Luftover. Yeah. And, uh, Oh boy, this is going to be a fun episode. I'm sure this episode is going to lead into actually many episodes because the topic we have today is, it just spans way too large of an area for us to cover in one. And this is a land, this is what you call a landmark episode. This is, and and, Um, you know, sometimes when you discover one of those things or you're presented with one of those things of where is it, where, where has this been all my life? Well, yep. Well, Hans Luftover has, has presented me with one of those things. And so I'm going to let him, uh, since he's way more familiar with it and I'm, I'm the neophyte here tonight. I'm going to let him uh, clue you in on to what's going on in, uh, in Eat It Land today. All right, all right, fellow eaters. Today we are going to cover Mr. George Leonard Herter. Now, I know that you have never heard of George Leonard Herter. 
I never heard of George Leonard Herder until I walked into a bookstore, a used bookstore, cavernous place in San Diego, um, excuse me, in um, San Leandro, California, uh, probably in the uh, early 90s, I would say. And I was going through the cookbook section and I noticed that there were these three golden cookbooks on the very bottom shelf. They were nicely bound and they just stuck out. So I, I pulled them out and and it was incredible. It is, it is three volumes of, the books are called Bull, Cook, and Authentic Historical Recipes and Practices. And they're by a guy named George Leonard Herter. Now, George Leonard Herter, interestingly enough, was, um, was from Minnesota, and he started one of the uh, first, or probably the granddaddy of all catalog sports equipment uh, catalogs, not unlike the Sears Robot catalog that you would get back in the day. He was the first, and everyone else pretty much copied his innovations in catalog. People like Cabela's and Bass Pro Shop. This guy had catalogs that went all over the country, and you would order any sporting goods, things that you wanted from him. Now, he was born uh, May 24th, 1911, and passed away in 1994. And he was from Wisaka, Wisaka, Minnesota. And he, uh, like I said, he founded a sporting goods business, and which was mostly by mail order. But his catalogs were famous, and there were well before our time. But but they went all around the country, and this is how you ordered things. But something else that you could get from the catalogs was his self-published cookbooks, three volumes, and they are a manifesto slash opus of cooking and history lore and I'm going to tell you a lot of bullshit. <laughs> oh, a steeped lot. in bullshit. Steeped, steeped in bullshit, but... And wrapped in gold. <laughs> you know, I'm going to... Wrapped in gold. I mean, go ahead and, and tell me. And, and I introduced it to you and I sent you... And I you know, found a couple of copies... I, his books aren't cheap. There is a cult following, uh, and I, you know, I want give me your first impression when I sent you the um, the first volume um, of uh, Bullfinch and Authentic and Describe it as best you can for everyone out there listening. Well, the the first thing you did, you, you've been sending me your extras as as you as you've been getting them, and the first one I got was. Basically, it's it's almost like I've been worked through from the starter level, which was um, there was a pamphlet-sized version of Bull Cook Volume 1, which is just a little paper pamphlet. It's probably like, what, 40, 50 pages, 60 pages? Not much worth that. And uh, it's just sort of the best of Volume 1. So, you know, uh, this kind of book goes stri- straight into the, and this 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 may sound like a slam, but it's not. It's actually the highest praise. It goes straight in the shitter at my house. <laughs> Absolutely. It's going there for study. I know the roommates might want to check it out. Um, <laughs> um, so, upon first opening it up, I'm like, okay, let's see what's going on in here, and it's just like, wait a, what? The the first thing I opened up to was he, he here he is he's like um he likes to tell he's 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 sort of uh you know a tail spinner he likes to tell a little historical tale 
and then it always and and you know in the last couple paragraphs it's going to turn into a recipe yeah literally usually about whoever he's talking about their favorite recipe the first one i read whose favorite recipe was it the virgin mary's (laughs) the blessed virgin mother's spinach recipe cream spinach and this guy you know He's not just like, here's a Virgin Mary spinach recipe. He's like, this, this is, you know, this was the rest. This was her favorite dish, you know, passed down <laughs> a lot, you know, right, right from the Virgin Mary's lips to George Herter's lips. And, and I'm reading this and I'm like, this is, give me a break. <laughs> it's, it better be good spinach, you know? And then I'm thinking this might all be a little trick by George Herder to get your kids to eat spinach because they're like, you know, grandma could be like, hey, it's a Virgin Mary spinach. Yeah. You don't she turn died, your nose up at this. <laughs> Her son died for your sins, so exactly. you better eat well, it up. Eat if it's spinach. good enough for the Blessed Virgin Mother, <laughs> it's good enough for you. So that was the first thing I saw, and I was, I was just in love with it from that point on and you've got and you've gotten doubles now of of volume one and volume two and i just recently got volume two and uh as i was telling you before the show i everybody who gives me a business card or a little flyer or something i just save them all and i throw them in a big pile because i use them for bookmarks because i always have several books going and i always you know i'm always needing a new bookmark so i grabbed just i a, a stack of these, uh, p- these scraps of paper and now they're all sticking out of my volume two volume one is about half the length of volume two volume two is a big old thick book it's thicker because it has a lot of uh <laughs> restaurant he, he's obviously traveled the world with his wife once the the um mail order business got good and uh he yep. basically saved all the menus from all the restaurants that he went to and reviewed them, which sounds really dry. But this guy was this guy does not. OK, usually someone like this who has a business, <laughs> they don't write real reviews of things. They write puff pieces, you know, oh, when you're here, travel here. It's wonderful. And sometimes his reviews are like that. But it's he's not writing puff pieces if he hated he, he you know he's just like the duck at this place is exactly the way you should never make duck exactly <laughs> it's absolutely the, the worst way just... to make duck it's dry and it's lean and it blah 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 and it doesn't have the proper taste of you know so it's wonderful to read there was one with his wife sitting out at, looking grumpy at a, t- at a beautiful out- outdoor table in Paris and it's like here's a nice little coffee house that's a perfect place to go get away from everybody when you've just finished battling with your wife for several hours he, <laughs> and, and there she is he was just a classic I think he was just a curmudgeon yes. you know and the type of guy that would bring a sandwich to Disneyland because he, the food was his shit he did he not like you. Disneyland. He would tell you right off the bat. He didn't like Disneyland. Food. No, he doesn't like anything. He hated the entire state of Hawaii. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you get to the part in in this in in volume, um, this is a guy who's two, from Minnesota, by found, the way. Yeah, he found nothing that he liked about Hawaii. He thought it was the worst place you could ever go to. Uh, opinionated. Yeah. Oh my God! And and just a little lot of little hidden 
bigotry in there here and there. Well, about he's all got kinds. that condescension that the that the white folks had. Back, yeah. Not that they don't have it back in these days, but it was an open condescent. You know, like look at this. You know, sometimes he would speak of them glowingly. Sometimes he would be like, "Well, this backwards." But whatever, he was in the position to just be like, "Ah." <laughs> no, I mean he he has a distinct following. That it's an underground following, and I'm gonna. This is the passage when you open his book. It starts out with this he's letting you know i will start with meats fish eggs soups and sauces sandwiches vegetables the art of french frying desserts and how to dress game how to properly sharpen a knife how to make wine and beer how to make french soup and also what to do in case of a hydrogen or cobalt bomb attack he's very concerned about that yeah. that's a, a running concern as, in all it, keeping as much in alphabetical order as possible yeah he's definitely the type of guy that i'm sure he had a bunker somewhere with all kinds of of tools to field dress animals and and jars and everything but um it, it's tough to describe these books to people they're not easy to find and when you do find them they can be pricey i got lucky and i found a lot of three of them because i had them over the years but i misplaced two I, they're still here somewhere but i found a ebay that was selling a lot of three all three issues um, volumes of this opus for twenty dollars that's I really was, good yeah i was the only guy that put a bid on and i got him and that's why I was able to give uh, mail, you know, volume one and two to you. They, they usually run about 30, 30 yeah, yeah. 35 bucks a piece. Yeah, yeah. And but uh, unless it's yeah. unless it's how to live with a bitch that that runs for about eighty dollars to a hundred dollars, and I really want to read that. <laughs> well, I've got. He he did dabble in other uh, in other writings. I mean, I have his book, How to Live with a Bitch. Um, which, strangely enough, the first 50 pages or so are just about childbirth. And, and, and he's just take, taking pictures from doctors, magazines, and periodicals and has just put them in there. And then he goes on to how to not argue with your wife and, and you know make the sandwich right the first time type of stuff. It's hilarious. It is hilarious stuff. And could you go through some of the bookmarks that, that that you may have found oh sure well i'm gonna start right out at the beginning of the the introduction to uh bull cook volume two which is of course a quote by george leonard herder <laughs> and it says <laughs> introduction people who honestly appreciate gastronomical <laughs> let me start this over people who honestly appreciate gastronomic miracles or in other words really good cooking never worry about their weight while they eat any more than a man worries about his heart while having sexual intercourse with a good-looking woman. Not with a bad-looking woman, <laughs> but a good-looking woman. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> in, and right on the first page, there's a boob. There's a Toulouse-Lautrec picture with boobs. Every picture of every artist that he mentions in this has a picture that with exposed boobs. He's, he's definitely a boob man. Okay, let's see. Okay. <laughs> my first... <laughs> my first one comes up with a... 
with a, a, on a page where I originally stopped it because it, it, it started with, with a painting of, of, he's talking about how normal it is for women throughout history to have their breasts exposed and, and, and how the one piece bathing suit is accepted and, and, a, and a real thing. But then I noticed on the next page his recipe for Chicken Kennedy, which uh, I'm going to read to you because it's written in his distinctive style. And this dish, oh dear God, <laughs> you want to talk about a heart attack meal. All right, Chicken Kennedy. John F. Kennedy, assassinated United States president, would like to be remembered for his cooking probably more than anything else. He loved fussing around the kitchen and thoroughly enjoyed and appreciated good food. He liked to be called a judge of good food and was certainly de deserving of the title. His favorite recipe was of his own creation and is given here directly from him exactly as he made it. And this recipe serves eight hungry people. Take eight chicken breasts, lay them on a hard piece of wood and gently pound them on the edge of the plate, then season with salt, pepper and a, and a touch of marjoram. Fry in butter until well done. Take three pounds of canned or fresh mushrooms. They can be canned mushrooms, stems, and pieces just as well as the whole mushrooms. Fry in a half pound of butter, salt and pepper to taste. Take 12 ounces of medium width dried egg noodles and boil in water as instructed on the box. Strain and mix with six level tablespoons of butter. Put 12 level tablespoons of butter into a frying pan and melt over a medium heat. Take six level tablespoons of white flour and mix two cups of cold water and the juices and then cut up the pieces of a small can of pimentos. Add to the butter in the frying pan and over a low heat, simmer until thickened. Add one cup of hollandaise sauce. If not hollandaise sauce, mayonnaise with three level teaspoons of lemon juice and one half cup of any dry white wine. Take a large casserole, place the noodles in the bottom, top with the mushrooms and chicken breasts and pour the sauce over it. Heat to 325 degrees for about 45 minutes. Remove the casserole, sprinkle generously with grated Parmesan cheese, and melt the cheese quickly under a broiler. 12 chicken breasts may be used without increasing other ingredients. This is high-level Irish cooking. <laughs> wow. With probably about a yep. pound and a half of butter in it. Exactly. You know, and I think that, that for, for uh, future shows... I think that it's going to be imperative that I one of us actually makes a dish yes. from from his from his book. I mean, if you don't have the third the third uh, volume three, but volume three is the it's he spends more time about how much he hates Hawaii than, <laughs> than any he basically hates everything about Hawaii, and and then he'll go into Alaska. And how we destroyed Alaska, you know, and the, the women of Alaska are are just have been just demoralized and destroyed. And and then he has a picture of the only Alaska stewardess in the world. She works for Transair, whose slogan is, if you have time to, to spare, fly Transair. And then he has to add, no one would mind spending a little extra time with this gal. And he is all over the place, everywhere. Just, just a wreck. He's got. I was fascinated by his. Uh, you know, Thomas Edison was a master of baking pies. 
No, I did not know that, but nope, I'm sure nope. George Herter is going to tell me Ed, all about it. <laughs> oh, Herter is going to go and tell you how half of Edison's inventions he ripped off from people. Right? That's, he knows. Actually, that's actually fairly true. Yeah, he ripped off. Yeah, and that's why you look up this stuff and you see that 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 a lot of it is true. And he'll he goes on for seven pages about how you know Edison really wasn't as great a man as everyone thinks. But here are his recipes for pies. We have the apple pie Edison, the pumpkin pie Edison, and a pie that I think I'm going to try to make, the cider pie Edison. Ooh. Which is, yeah, which is basically reduce two quarts of natural apple cider to one cup by simmering, add three egg yolks, three level tablespoons of melted butter, two level tablespoons of flour, one cup of brown sugar, one cup of milk, and beat the egg whites to soft peaks and fold them into the cider mixture. Line an 8 inch pie pan with a pastry. Bake at 350 for 10 minutes. Top with whipped cream that has cherry flavoring whipped into it. And that sounds and pretty was, good. And he ends it by saying, I can get along without moving pictures and television that Tom made possible. He's on a first name basis. Sure. With Edison, yeah. Uh, even electric lights. But his apple pie, that's another thing. George Herder, true American. True American. <laughs> All right. I, I, mean, I, I, I heard, though, you were going to be making a... Uh... Yes. Yes, I am. I um, Apparently, no one... There's a lot of connections in our in the show today. First, San yeah. Leandro is one of the connections. That's where I found the book. And uh, Hemingway. He knew not only Hemingway, but he knew Hemingway's son. And he claims to have the exact drink that Hemingway drank at the Floridia in Cuba. This is all he ever drank, okay? And this is the actual drink, don't let anyone tell you, but Papa would drink this. Two ounces of Bacardi wine, of Bacardi rum. Any rum will do as well or better. The juice of one lime or the juice of two limes two ounces of grapefruit juice or the juice of half a grapefruit six drops of maraschino liqueur which is just like cherry liqueur or six drops of the liquid in a bottle of maraschino cherries or six drops of cherry flavoring the latter is the better now i have happened to you know you know we we pride ourselves on our difficult research for this mm -hmm. show so i've actually have everything here I actually ready heard it slosh around to there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, ready, ready to go. You're gonna, you're gonna hear it slosh around. I've got it all, and these are actual mixer sounds here. Everything has been poured. We are now gonna add the lime juice here. I am uncorking or unscrewing a small bottle of um, rum to add to the mixture. This actually sounds like yeah, something I, I would more. try. That's what the hell. George would have liked that. <laughs> An ice cube. I'm going to close my shaker here. And we're going to... Give it a good shake. This better not end with you with a shotgun in your mouth. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> All right, here we go. This, this, now this is it. it it's got a nice, um, 
grapefruity color to it, okay? And smells good. It smells slightly of cherries, just a little bit. And, and uh, I'm going to take myself back to Cuba of old. And let me have a sip of this here. Yeah, that's nice. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. That, that, that is a, that's a fine drink. Lime juice is just enough to prevent you from getting scurvy. <laughs> um, the grapefruit juice mellows it out. And, and the rum, you can't taste it. You can't taste the rum, and I put I put quite a bit of rum. A lot of and, sugar in that to cut, to mask it yeah, up. It that, seemed like yeah. This this is definitely a drink that could do some damage. Papa could definitely do some damage. It sounds like it. a hangover in the making, actually. It, yeah, it is, and it, I'm gonna continue my research on this drink. It's not going anywhere because, as the first recipe that I've made from uh, Herder book, this is definitely the um, the first. Uh, the first good, uh, the first and only one is it's delicious. Uh, would you say that that this was a man ahead of his time? I mean, if he had, if he would have been born later, he could have probably been an internet sensation. You know? Yeah, but he probably would have stayed away from the internet like it was. He's the trolls would have got him. No, just the technology. I think he would have been like, grab a goddamn internet. It's not worth a damn. Give me an old fashioned book. You know, he seemed like, you know, television. Who wants to, you know, he's a, he's a curmudgeon. And he is. And, and I think <laughs> it took the internet maybe to bring him back a little bit. But uh, no, these guys, guys like this are. I don't, I, and, and I, I, I hesitate to use the word doomed, but they're, they're sort of destined to, to exist in their own little world, you know? He's not, he's not going to cooperate enough with the world to truly, like, become, like, as famous as he could, because he's, he's too he's much of gonna... a grouch. That's why I love these people. Yeah. He, he built his own, he built his own little empire and lived within it as 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 the king and you know and he really was the king i mean he finally opened up a brick and mortar store and it was also the first type of store of its kind that other um people followed suit like bass pro shop and you know all of those type of places their their stores were based on the store that that herder started he went bankrupt though so uh, he didn't make it, but but I urge everyone out there to, to look up the guy. I mean, we can sit here and talk about it, but it, it's not an easy book to talk about because it rambles. I mean, but it's in, it, it's an enjoyable ramble. He'll take you for a ride. On it's, with, uh, you're, take, you're, it's you're talking to your cranky uncle. He 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 skips yeah, exactly. from he has and then he has pet peeves and oh. and and pet predilections that he's always coming back to nudity is one of them he's yeah. really into nudity but at the same time he hates he's kind of a pure puritan uh, yeah like, exactly he has a love-hate relationship but, with it i mean but he keeps talking about it there, there's yeah. first for what the first thing i opened up to in in volume two is a picture of a, a waitress with her boobs out serving food to two grinning guys and it says bare breasts and food in the united states Americans are prone to thinking that Europe, Asia, and Africa, more women than the, in the United States, work with their breasts exposed. Americans, for some unknown reason, 
like to believe that they are far more moral than the people of other nations. Nothing could be further from the truth. We have a, we have a much higher divorce rate than the most primitive tribes. Americans like to go to restaurants where female waitresses wear only the bottom half of dresses or swimming suits exposing their breasts. Californias were the first to discover that people enjoyed bobbing and sometimes flopping breasts with their food. <laughs> Most other states have followed the bare-bosomed waitress a bit. In practically all of our states, bare-bosomed waitresses are legal as well as completely nude waitresses. In 1966, a three-judge panel of Second District Court of Appeals in California issued a 47-page opinion on breast exposure. They voided California Section 650.5 of the State Penal Code, a catch-all law for moral evasion of most any kind. The law forbids any act which openly outrages public decency. Associate Ju Justice Otto Kaus declared that even today's family magazines, which no one would think of hiding from the children, have for years played peekaboo with the female breast. In such a society, reason Judge Kaus, the court cannot fairly rule that women who expose her bust for a brief period without suggestive movement before a limited group of adults of both sexes outrages the public decency by and any all definition of that term. And uh, then he goes on to say that he prefers not to see boobs because he's so red-blooded that he can't concentrate yeah. on his food with boobs around. Which brings me to another story. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Where he went to a nude beach. Kind of accidentally. <laughs> when I am on the Isle of Silt, I want it clearly <laughs> understood that I am there strictly for the duck and shore bird hunting, fishing, and for eating. I occasionally stray down toward the, quote, FKK beaches to be sure. I like to be well informed wherever I am. Just before you get to the FKK beaches, there is a sign that reads, If the sight of naked bodies offends you, please take the path up the cliff and around the FKK beach. I think that this is very considerate of the German people to put up such signs. Actually, as we all know, the sight of naked human bodies bothers everyone and is just one of nature's many tricks to continue our race by creating children. The last time that I strolled towards the beach, I noticed a lovely tan blonde walking towards me. I thought she had on a white bikini and brassiere. As she got closer, I noticed that there were just the areas that had little suntan. I tried, of course, not to stare at her, but it is very difficult to walk past a beautiful nude woman, not venture a peek, and be entirely nonchalant. The FKK beach itself has a number of volleyball courts, badminton courts, and several small soccer fields. I have always been mainly a hunter and a fisherman. However, I never realized before how interesting these games can be. I went above the beach and lay down in the little hollow to relax a bit. A very shapely middle-aged woman with honestly beautiful gray hair appeared seemingly out of nowhere. This is starting to get good, huh? She kicked off her shoes, unbuttoned her swimming suit, and wiggled and popped out of it. With typical feminine care and grace, she laid a large terry cloth beach towel at right angles to me about six feet away and carefully lay down on it. Hmm, I had no idea how to act. I smiled weakly at her and she smiled strongly at me. A person has to be polite. At a time like this, it is difficult to say the right thing. For the life of me, I could not think of anything that might sound well, so I just did not say anything. 
I tried futilely to think of duck and shore bird hunting, but it was very hard to concentrate. The food on the Isle of Silt is very good. <laughs> the beef is well. <laughs> and then he just off to the, the food. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you just move on to the food, and 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 that's the way that's the way he was. He but he'll give you. I love it. It's like he's a big talker, but like when a beautiful naked woman comes up to him, he's just like, oh, I think I'm just gonna lay down here. <laughs> yeah, and he throws in all kinds of little. Now that the the third volume, a lot of it is a travelogue where he speaks of the women of Japan, who are amongst the cleanest women mm-hmm. in the world. For he they often bathe. talks about how women smell and whether they smell yeah, good yeah. or not. For they bathe upwards of ten times a day, <laughs> rubbing their nearly hairless bodies. Oh yes, <laughs> to, to to remain perfectly clean. And you know he's got things about how to remove chicken bones from your, uh, how to remove fish bones from your throat. Now I don't know if I have a fish bone in my throat if I want to be looking up his recipe, but if you do have one caught in your throat, gargle lemon juice concentrate or lemon juice. The citric acid will dissolve the bones as they are mainly calcium. Cleopatra used to dissolve pearls in lemon juice and drink the juice. Pearls are mainly calcium. And she believed that dissolving pearls in lemon juice acted as a deodorant and kept her body from smelling badly. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, you know, Cleopatra. Sure, she had. She left a lot of writing. You know, it's Adrift Richard Burton, I guess. But it's a wonderful read. I, I, I can't. I if, if you love history, with a twist, mind you, because you need to take a lot of what he says with a grain of salt. But he has a lot of other books. He has books on winemaking. He has, as I said, how taxidermy. To, taxidermy. How to live off the grid. Is one of his books is uh, uh, well, how to like, live with a bitch. And there's George like how the to survive Housewife. in the wilderness for under ten dollars yeah. a week or something like that. Yeah, which which involves basically moving to Hawaii, uh, moving to Alaska. And hooking up two car batteries to wires and placing them in a stream to electrocute the fish, <laughs> so, that, so that you can so you can eat, you know. And man gets hungry. Yeah, I mean he has a great, great. He'll talk about Nero, the the Roman emperor, for six pages. Electrocuting fish in. have a pleasant bitter flavor to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'll talk. The Colosseum today in Rome is a filthy home for homosexuals. <laughs> smells like the outdoor toilet, which it was used for. But you can get the uh, the recipe for wieners that the Romans ate. Uh, you know, they were at their best eaten with an amount of chopped up onions and lettuce together. I have tried chopped up onions and lettuce fried in butter on a bun with a wiener, and it is delicious. I have some fresh parsley. I'll put it in. Chop it up with the onions and lettuce and fry them all together. So, you know, I think the guy has a a love for history, a love for himself, and probably really does have a love for food, which makes these books a really, really, really fun read. Well, yeah, I mean, and plus I've got, um, uh, where is it right here? A recipe for Lamaze sauce. I was Please reading do. that and I was like, you know what? This sounds really good. So I'm making yeah. me some Lemay's sauce. And his he had a recipe on how to make mayonnaise in here that sounded really delicious too. 
except with a warning that um, I think this was actually in Bullcook Volume One. He had the mayonnaise recipe with the warning that for some reason, and all women know this, you can't women can't mix up mayonnaise when they're on their well, menstrual cycle. Yes, it will not exactly. it will they not can't. bind together correctly. And he's like, This is not just a superstition. You ask any woman, and he's like, Nature is so full of of mysteries. Oh my god. And and his he was no fan of Abe Lincoln. No fan of Abe Lincoln. I swear to God, there is about... I haven't gotten to any of his Lincoln bashing yet. <laughs> well, Lincoln bashing, you won't get till I find volume three for you. But and it's some hardcore Lincoln bashing. But to smooth it all out, he gives you Abraham Lincoln's recipe for apple pie. So, you know... Can't it, get any more American than that. Yeah, you can't. You can't, you know, the great emancipator wasn't really... He was a, 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 a racist, you know. And, but... It makes you want to look into these claims of his. And I have to say that most of the time that I have actually looked into some of the things that he writes about these hyster- these historical figures, they actually did happen, but he's embellishing a lot. He's, yeah, a he, lot. He's, he's a very P.T. Barnum type of guy. He can't just exactly. tell the story. He has... That is the perfect way to describe him, P.T. Barnum. He, I mean, he has to he, rev it up and, and like... I got one of I, I, I got one of his gun catalogs on the cheap. Yeah, I was gonna ask you to talk about that. Is it the same way in his gun catalog? Or? It's, it's toned down a little bit, but nothing is. And and actually, though, people still seek out Herder's um, stock. So like, a lot of the stuff that that he sold was of very very super high quality. Oh yeah. Bird's eye maple stock. I mean, it really, it really was. Uh, um, you know, he really was the, the the deal, the big deal. And I bet you could probably still find people in, you know, in Minnesota and uh, in all parts of that uh, of the country that probably remember his his catalog. You know, really as something they were fond of. Yeah, so, and they can also remember his Lady Godiva's recipe for cabbage. So yeah, so everything in it is like you you see his fingerprints and all the description. Every everything is everything. made of the finest materials and, but this one actually comes with an order like a separate like order the order sheet in it, with a little sticker still stuck to it saying you know uh, please don't use postage stamps for payment that's not legal, and then uh, <laughs> but you know the but. You can always find George Hurt even on this, on the, the, the order blank. Down at the bottom, it says, important, read. All feathers or skins from wild birds are sold with a definite understanding that they be used for fishing tackle purposes. And, and this is still something that's, this is something that goes on to this day about due to Native American practices. It is unlawful to use them for any purpose, any other purpose. This does not apply to feathers or skins from domestic birds hatched and raised in captivity. We cooperate fully with the federal government and with the protective organizations all over the world. 99.5% of the feathers and bird skins we sell come from birds which are killed for food. The feathers or skins are only byproducts and and are normally thrown away just as you would throw away the shell of a nut. Respect laws! Exclamation mark. Without them human beings couldn't exist so there it is there's a finger you know he can't just have that disclaimer at the bottom he had to be this like this is why we need laws because we couldn't exist as humans without them 
I think these books were his manifesto, you know? And, and, you know, and from what I said, I mentioned earlier, he was a quiet-spoken man that you wouldn't think. He shied away from interviews, and he shied away from photography. And these books were probably his way of, of getting his inner self out, you know? Right, without having I mean, to deal with people. <laughs> yeah, without having to deal with it. You know, he could, and, and you know, he, people that have read these books probably picture him as a, you know, Teddy Roosevelt Hemingway, type Hemingway guy. looking guy. Yeah, yes. exactly. But when you get a look at the guy, you know, he was just a little guy with a with a squeaky voice that you didn't think. I, and I have two comparisons I, for him. One, there's a, a comedian from The Daily Show named John Oliver. Yeah. And he sort of perfect. looks like John Oliver. And he sort of looks like Dr. Bunsen Honeydew from The Muppet Show, too, from Muppet Labs. <laughs> yes, that's great. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, who can give you a recipe for Hitler's favorite omelet. Yeah, so so now I hear a lot of his voice in, in the Dr. Bunsen Honeydew voice, yeah, or the I John Oliver that. voice, which is not very different from the Bunsen Honeydew voice. Yeah. It's a nerd voice. He looks like a nerd. He looks like a nerd who's dressed up in gentleman's clothes and posed for a picture and front of a fire but no he that was probably the reality he doesn't look like the type of guy that would go wild game hunting on the serengeti no and but if you got to know him i think he would probably be a great guy to sit around and have a drink with after he after he opened up a little bit and and he was knowledgeable i mean the guy could dress a turtle he could tell you how to go ahead and field dress a turtle and then how to eat it and, mm -hmm. and he shows you how to do it in the books, mm -hmm. you know? And and I, I think maybe in, in closing, I, I think that he was a storyteller, which is always good. Yes. I love storytellers, and I love people that can spin a good yarn. And damn it, I don't care if half the shit that he wrote in these books isn't true. The recipes, some of them look fun. Some of them look like something I'd never try. But it's a fun read because you can pick these books up anywhere in the book and just read a paragraph and it, it and you can't, can't read them for three hours you have to set them down because your brain starts to hurt yeah you know from overload of information i mean to go from billy the kid to lady godiva it's they're it's, great it's, bathroom they're great bathroom books or they're great like when you're cooking one of his recipes you can read a couple stories you know yeah it's, they are they're they're entertaining and you can find his books the easiest way that i found is you can find them on ebay uh, occasionally with a good deal, not occasionally, but go to Amazon. Use the Two True Freaks link. You can type in his name and you will see his books available. You can usually get and, the pamphlet like pretty cheap for five or six yeah, the bucks. Pamphlet, the pamphlet will just gild your lily. You read the pamphlet, you're going to want more. That's your uh, starter. That's the entry. Yeah, that's your starter. You can probably pick up each volume for uh, $33. There's some people on there that are selling them for outrageous amounts of money. His other books go for uh, quite a bit. Quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. I, um, there's the one on how to make uh, booze, and he has a candy book on how to make candy. But those are, from what I understand, those are pretty much strictly just recipes on how to do it. But uh, I recommend if if you if this stuff has tickled your fancy, and we're certainly going to include some of these things in our shows. I think we should do a, a herder report, and uh, every month I'll make something or uh, and, and have a little taste test. 
because he's just too fun. We'll be, ba- fun. We'll be back with this guy and with the next part of the show oh. too. I think this. this oh, I think what we're doing show. is a little introduction to both of these guys. I think so. These are definitely worth a return trip to. All right. Well, we will be back and we'll be reversing positions, and this time I will be presenting <laughs> something new and exciting. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Hiya, Prevoits! Maury Clawhammer here at Maury Clawhammer's Grown Up Emporium for Adults and Marriage Counseling Center. I am proud to introduce a new line of adult novelties for America's fastest growing money spending horn dogs the nerds! Nerds have permeated our entire culture. And now they can permeate your every orifice. For you Star Trek fans, we have the V'ger, a deep space probe that wants nothing more than to merge with you in a beam of blue light. We also have the Vulcan, available in two colors and two sizes. Live long and prosper, and live extra long and prosper. We have the bisexual and fully functional Data Real Doll. Yeah, to be honest, it's just a Brett Spiner real doll in Star Trek uniform. But we got a warehouse full of them, and what are we supposed to do? You geeks like movies? Drop the kids off in our ball pool and check out our parse-expanding collection of knockoff porno titles. We got Howard the Naked Duck, Lords of the Ring Job, Battle Scars Galactate, uh, Your Ass Lick Park, 1 through 15, Harry Popper, Harry Squatter, Mary Blobber and the Sorcerer's Bone, The Black Hole, Skullfuck Island, and all 45 gay Transformers movies. And tentacle porn. So many movies, you'll feel like Onan the Barbarian. Just take a right at the light and go straight into night under the underpass and past the biscuit basket. If you see the elementary school, you've gone too far. Stop in on Wednesday for a free furry fitting and complimentary chips and dip. Maury Clawhammer's Grown Up Emporium for Adults and Marriage Counseling Center. Marital artist since 1989er. What's so exciting about racing against a clock anyway? What's it prove? Well, it's like a runner trying to improve his time. He trains his body to get the most out of it. I work on this baby the same way, trying to get maximum performance. What's it mean if you don't beat anybody? But I do. I beat their time. Is that how you got cutie pie over there? By beating some guy's time? No. <laughs> You're not the type. You're uh, the all-American boy. A safety first Clyde. Are you trying to say something? I never try anything. I just do it. Like I don't beat clocks. Just people. Want to try me? Hello and welcome to Beat It, a half podcast about the pornographies. I am one half of your hosts. I am Leopold Bustier and I am here with Jonathan B. Sachs. That's right, Jonathan B. Sachs. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. The B stands for balls. Balls. Big ones. And. Well, oh boy. This time it's my turn to take something near and dear to my heart <laughs> and and present it to you <laughs> to see what you think reversal yes and and today and and much like the last segment 
this you, we're gonna be back on this 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 is something that's not gonna not gonna be done justice to in in 30 minutes but we're gonna try to get it started and we are going to be covering or uncovering the great great Russ Meyer filmmaker here, here. extraordinaire um, almost a lot of people are aware of his existence now <laughs> as you go back in time it, it, it he sort of went into obscurity and then there was a time where more people knew about him but he didn't have the good reputation that he has now now he his movies are, are appreciated a lot a, a lot more than back in the day but he was basically the the hey it says on his tombstone king of the nudies yeah. and then underneath it i was glad to do it and he, he died in 2004 born in 1922 so he was pretty much at almost to a year on a 10-year lag from um george leonard herder wow yeah that's right he died he died 10 years after him and was born 11 years after him so he was just a little bit younger than Herder. These two guys had to have been cut from very similar cloth. Um, oh, I think, I mean, you turned me on to him. Uh, you know, I didn't, you you told me, well, let's, let's look, let's watch Vixen. So I watched Vixen and I wanted more. It was really so hard at, for me to pick what yeah, a good you had starting a time, point is. And I know, and now I know why you did. I mean, Russ Myers, hometown hero. San Leandro, California, he was born in, which is basically the next town over from where I'm from. Oh, wow. Yeah, really. And and, and that happens to be where I, where the, the uh, Herder books were first discovered, that same town. Uh, World War II badass, sex exploitation film king, and breast man. I mean, let's, let's not forget about that. Definitely a breast man. It's and pretty much what it was all about when the rubber meets the road. Yeah, when yeah. the silicon meets the road. Style. He had a certain style, and I couldn't get enough of it. And like I said, I was telling you, uh, I, I had a stay in San Diego, and rather than go out and, and see the town, I spent the entire day watching Russ Meyer's, uh, Russ Meyer movies. And I enjoyed every minute of them, each one was different would you say that he, he was a guy that 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 rolled with the times you know i mean yes he he kept going uh we were talking about his uh his first film the, the immoral mr tease uh could you tell everyone a little bit about that because because uh you had a great spiel on it and, and it was to me it was my i'm i can't stop thinking about it I can't stop thinking about it. Now, Mr. T's, uh, this wasn't strictly his first movie, but it was yeah, his first movie, his first full-length movie and his first real movie. Up until Mr. T's, pretty much what you had were like bottom-of-the-barrel exploitation movies that were almost like Z-grade versions of Reefer Madness with nudity and nudist colony movies which were just people playing volleyball and romping around in the in the lake and <laughs> eating breakfast and but just doing it naked <laughs> I mean, sometimes there would be you know some semblance of a story around it this was the first 
um, nudie movie of its kind that introduced some kind of, it was some semblance of a quote-unquote story to it, um, where, where there was a guy who could all of a sudden develop the power to see naked women, <laughs> women naked while yeah. they were doing things. And uh, so that gives you your framework of of how you're going to do it. And he, he enlisted an old army buddy of his to, to star as in the starring role and used all his experience from from filming in, in World War Two to uh, to run the camera and used humor, at, you know, a series of gags. It sort of reminds me a little bit in a lot of ways of Little Shop of Horrors, the Roger Corman version of Little Shop of okay, Horrors. I can see that. And um, uh, filmed basically silent, you know, no, yeah. and, and some posts, a lot of music in it and uh the same the same tune for the most part uh looped over and over and over and at first i thought i was going to get cra- i was going to go crazy with this but i didn't because it's just you know it's an it's a mid 19 you know a 1959 movie made in 59 with stunning with good color and you can see what what the city looked like with the old buses and the cars and Mr. Mr. Tease, and Tease was his real last name, from what I understand. Uh, Bill Tease was his. The guy looks like he could looks like a hipster that you could that could walk out on the street today, and you wouldn't give him a second look with his bow tie and his uh, Van Van Dyke, uh, uh, you know, a little goatee, a look that I don't think. In, in his straw hat, he had a uh, you know a barbershop quartet looking straw hat. And his job was just to sell, to deliver false teeth. And he every day, he started his day the same. He would get on his bike, deliver the false teeth to the dentist's office where the woman was practically naked, you know, the receptionist. And in his mind's eye, Russ Myers would spin a piece of paper with a swirl on it. And he could, like, go into this fantasy world of his and see all these women naked. But the women are very, very attractive. And especially at the time period, they all looked like World War II pinup girls. Yes. And that's one thing I noticed and I read about. Russ Myers Russ had Myers. an aesthetic. He did. But would you say that, that a lot of his starlets or women that he chose didn't – They do I want to use the words wholesome for some of his movies? I mean – not well, well maybe not. i think it was the the i he he would go to strip clubs to find them that's where he would find them and this you know this was in the days of like around play playboy there was a, some sexual revolution going on people were starting to you know loosen up a little bit and in the, at the same time here's russ meyer russ meyer is sort of uh he he has this working class guys approach yeah and, but at the same time you think this guy's doing porn movies you're thinking sleaze master you're thinking no skill uh, and maybe not the brightest guy in the world this guy's bright this guy's really sharp and self-made and a nice guy completely self self-made um yeah uh definite you know but was one of those people he didn't go to film school he just he just saw the he he spoke the language of film innately he has yeah, had totally an innate self-taught he watching russ meyer movies 
I had I I've had many movie religious experiences, but two of my big movie religious experiences were uh, one was when I was in film school, and one was after the internet came about, and I could actually get Russ Meyer movies to watch besides Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Um, was uh, two of my early movies, Super 8 movies from film school. One of them was called Mega Dan, and the other one was called War of the Mega Men. Now Mega, um, and there was also one called Upward Mobility. They were my, they were my like violence trilogy. <laughs> and Upward Mobility was the first one, was where a bum uh, is just wandering around, and you know, bum like in tuxedos with tails and the top hat, is wandering oh, around good. a housing complex and decides to take over someone's house and boots them out of their house and takes them out and leaves them with the the top hat and the coat and that guy becomes a bum you know this would these were like movies that were an exercise they were like do a film that's one person going from one place to another you know do a movie that's a chase which was mega dan which mega dan gets robbed by people <laughs> and his money gets taken away mega dan gets angry and then he beats him up and takes his money back and then War of the Mega Men was my magnum opus that had a whole interlocking plot of two different bums that were fighting for, for including one of the bums was the bum from Upward Mobility who'd been beat, who was now living in a, in, in back of a, a vacant lot and drinking egg, robin eggs for breakfast. And then he fights another warring gang of, of, um, of bums. And after I'd filmed those movies, and, like, I I was really into movies. I didn't get to see a lot of movies growing up because until, like, HBO came along because there just was a cultural vacuum where I lived, you know, to get to the movies. You could see the movies that were coming out, but seeing old movies and stuff, it wasn't until I was in high school that, like, cable was in an everybody's house. So... When I went to film school, I went in sort of as a, like, visually, aesthetically a cherry. You know, I was just filming my movies. How do I tell this story? I couldn't edit them. I was, it all had to be in-camera edits because we just had sure. these little, you know, Kodak 8, Super 8 cameras that had you fed cartridges into. And um, I went to see, um, um, oh, which John Waters movie was it? Um, it's the one where he, um, Female Trouble. At the University of Rochester, they had a midnight screening of it, which was funny because a lot of punk rockers showed up and walked out about halfway through in disgust. <laughs> <laughs> While I sat there going, this is how I make movies. <laughs> this is how I film movies, you know. Maybe the content is, isn't exactly the same, but the way the colors that, that were pleasing to John Waters, I, you know, the way he framed things, I was like, man, this is just how I... Well, when I saw Russ Meyer movies, I was just like, this is where I was headed. <laughs> if I became a Hollywood filmmaker, I, now I'm not saying I'd make ex nudie exploitation movies, but the way he portrayed violence and color and, and music and editing in his movies, that definitely was <laughs> would have been the direction. I w his, his movies are like a buffet to me of wonderfulness. They don't have to yeah. make a single lick of sense. They're not erotic. They don't. They don't get me hot and bothered. Although some, the women in them are beautiful, but the yeah, way he absolutely. edits them, he almost keeps them on the edge of being erotic, unless you're a fetishist. 
if you're kind of yeah. repressed and fetishy about boobs and stuff like that and, and dominating women and stuff, who boy, I'll bet you these movies are super <laughs> sweaty oh my and God. Well, But A perfect example. Kill, you know, uh, kill pussycat, uh, faster pussycat, kill, kill. I mean, there's no nudity in that movie, you know, There, but you were just drawn in. It's like, to, one of, it's like a, good, a full-out S&M movie before anybody dared mention S&M. Tura Satana is like S&M, perf, per, female rage oh. and S&M personified. Yeah. And I, I yeah, saw an a, a, a interview with her. And this Who, was it? Was it the um, Shari Eubanks? Who's it? Uh, I I the, who's the, the the main character in um the Dominatrix in a fat, faster pussycat kill kill? The Japanese, she's Japanese. Yeah. She's the one with the humongous boobs. Tura Satana, yeah, but yeah, uh, under the name Tura Satana. But yeah. um, she was talking about you know that movie, and she was like, well, I drew on a lot of the anger that I had as a woman. To, to do that movie because you know when I when I was younger I was raped by five guys yeah yeah that, and, I, that's and the I'm backstory. like yeah that would give you anger and then she's like and then they sent me off to reform school because the judge said that I was asking for it and I'm like whoa and then she's like yeah, yeah. that's that's true a nine year old is asking for it then I'm like whoa and that's she some actually serious what she anger. says is she she learned you know kung fu and karate. And she said she went back and beat the hell out of every one of those single guys that had raped her, and and uh, and as a result of that, you know, it was she was probably and he's quoted Russ Myers is quoting saying that she, that she was probably the purest actress that he ever had, that she was that's the way she was. She was you know, his divine was, if he was John yeah, Waters. Yeah, exactly. His divine and his greatest regret is not using her more. They, 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 she was definitely like a muse for him or they were a muse for each other. They, they, they there was uh, there was a perfection there. The woman who the, the main actress in um, Vixen is pretty close too to, yeah. to like perfection of oh, what Russ Meyer would you know, love for, you know, of the combination of acting and body and anger. <laughs> she's, she's, she's right up there too. Oh, but, um, you, but when you see interviews with these women, they loved him. I mean, not just yeah, like, was, you know, he made me a lot of money. They nice loved the guy. guy. And, and these are women who, who were survivors. So these, and, and they, but he took them and put them in these movies and I remember, like, my first introduction to Russ Meyer was back in high school. I was reading a spin magazine, and I believe it was the punk rock guy who would do it, writing and did an interview with him, uh, Legs McNeil. But I could be wrong on that. It was just a one-page sort of, you know, focus on, you know, little... Here's a little focus on Russ, Russ Meyer. It was a page or two with a big picture of him with um, a couple busty women and smiling and you know it was like Russ Meyer made these movies and he described Russ Meyer movies as you know a world ruled by lusty horny violent women who you know took men and used them used them up and threw them out and just you know would destroy them by their sheer power he's like basically just the opposite of reality <laughs> yeah and uh and that's I mean 
he took these women and gave them these roles where they were not only empowered, they were like a force of nature. They would, they, you know, no man oh, was Vixen. any match for any woman in a Russ Meyer movie. They would. No just... man was a match for Vixen. No. I mean, I mean, I, he, you could tell he loved to make movies. I mean, Vixen filmed in supposedly the Canadian. <laughs> You know, in Canada, it looks a hell of a lot more like Northern California, which I'm sure that it was. Uh, bikers dealing with topics of the time, like like you know the Vietnam War. Uh, uh, he did not handle the the um, topic of race gently. <laughs> no, he didn't. It's especially not Vixen. No, um, uh, she was she was portrayed. Erica Gavin was portrayed as just a racist and. And uh, the character of Niles, which was uh, the black motorcycle uh, gang member that that fled to Cuba. I mean, not to Cuba. I'm sorry, fled to Canada to get to avoid the war. There's like this sexual tension between them, and she's just calling him the foulest names that you're gonna. It's, at you're one gonna, point, she tells him, "Why don't you go into town and find yourself a pickaninny?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know? I, I mean, I visibly, I, I, I watched that that uh, a good chunk of Vixen today, and I'm watching that part, and I'm wincing through it, and I'm like, I'm still wincing. This through is it. some, yeah. po but at the same time, if you even put it in the historical context, if you put it in any context, that's some, that's some insanely visceral, crazy stuff. And it gets almost into the same area that like Robert Crumb does of political incorrectness that, that a has a truth to it. It's almost to the point, you know, like I, I had a friend who thought for a year he would see he thought I was racist because I had our Crumb comics and he would read them. And he's like, these are the most sexist, racist things in the world. And I'm like, he hates that part of himself. And this is like this yeah you know he's he's it's it's getting expunged there and sort of put out it's it's real i mean that's it's ballsy to put that stuff out there and you know you you get These the feeling the that, that he's trying to make a non an anti-racial uh, anti-racist statement i mean this is a guy who fought in world war ii yeah. and like one of his favorite films he filmed there was a german soldier um surrendering and sobbing and like as they as they pulled the guy up out of the trench, the GI kicked him squarely in the ass down the road, and he yeah, thought a that lot was of great. His, so he really, he, I mean, just... he was in World War II. He hates the Nazis. There's Nazis yeah. everywhere in his movie. Uh, uh, Borman is a ca running gag character in his movies, and they're full of like Wagner and Nazi yeah. drinking songs. And I mean, you forget. You don't think about how good a photographer he was in World War II. That that footage of, of you know the Nazi getting kicked in the ass is famous. Yeah. It, it is famous and it is used. You see it, it's been used in every documentary on World War II. And and some of the say, you know, he went into you know, Vixen goes into crazy subplot about communism, <laughs> Irish and Irish communist. But I gotta it's give one bibbledy babble though. It's wonderful, yeah, it's, wonderful it's, babbling. Absolutely. Harrison Page is the name of the actor that played Niles. And I got to say, that guy had some chops for a Sidney Poitier like wannabe. That's the thing. He was like Sidney Poitier. He, he was he was basically it was very much like uh, uh, Dwayne Jones. Yes, who's coming to dinner. Dwayne Jones from uh, Night of Living Dead, who is another yeah. 
sort of like except except the guy in Vixen looks even more like Portier but they were like yeah. they were really you could tell this guy's a really strong actor and he, and he prop- actually went on to do other stuff I mean he went on to, to be in Cold Case Jag ER Ally McBeal Quantum Leap this guy went on to uh, you know he was that guy you would see in the movies and Myers just throws in, in Vixen he throws you for a loop every five minutes I mean there is there is incest, brother and sister incest, mad incest because she gets really pissed. Vixen gets pissed, and it's, and, it's, and you keep thinking very, there's going to be a time. It's a bizarre, yeah, scene. Bizarre, and you know what? You keep waiting for that for that scene where she's gonna sleep with Niles, the black dude, and it never happens. He there he throws us for a loop, and then all of a sudden. There's this. The next guest at the at this lodge is is an Irish communist that wants to fly to Cuba, and and <laughs> he's all over the place. But it's it's wonderful. It's just you, you laugh and you're just looking at it, going, "This guy really loves to make movies. He loves it, you and know? he understands movies. He he understands his editing is just so uh, the use of close-ups in his movies oh his camera shots he actually had a a, a, a you know camera mounted underneath the springs of the bed with no mattress <laughs> and you could see vixen on the springs and the camera's shooting up from from you see and mattress then when it shoots springs. from above you see the blankets are all there and the mattress it's just a whole yeah it's just a, yeah. it's it's a it's he's speaking his own language and that's like Here's a shot from below so you can see the naked flesh. <laughs> yeah, and you know, there's a there's a girl on girl scene in there that for the time was pretty risque because it's that was so not something over the that... top. It reminds me of a yeah. David Lynch movie. But oh. the thing was, he's he's do in those days with all that nudity, you would have all the nudity and stuff, but to make it not a porno movie, you had to have story or commentary and stuff in there. And he almost took that to the point of satire where he put these narrators in who, you know, the, oh, the working yeah. man and blah, 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 and, blah, 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 yeah. and start start talking and give these long, you know, very, very well written. I mean, at the at, at the end of Up, there's two uh, <laughs> two naked women uh, at, the, at the muses. chasing after each other. <laughs> running full bore through the woods. One of them has a knife and is going to stab the other one to death. Running full bore, having a full conversation, like expositional conversation of their origins okay. and whose child their their and you know this whole written in this expository verbose law you know ten syllable worded. Yeah. Thing, while they're running <laughs> through the uh. woods with their giant breasts. Flopping yeah. and and I told the, 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 that I was really the mother of blah 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 who is uh, no, related she to was this and Ava Braun Jr. Right. <laughs> I mean, and you told me to watch Vixen. You had sent me um, you know, you uh, went ahead and texted me and said, okay, I mean, watch up now. Finish it. Watch up. So I'm watching up, and the ending is so outrageous with a mad lumberjack throwing himself all over Raven de la Croix or whatever her name is and she just just insane and and I almost want to say and, and correct me if I'm wrong but 
would, was that his attempt at maybe trying to get into the grindhouse circuit with that ending that that it had? It was just as he was. He's one of those guys like I'm. He had to keep his movies exploitative, and yeah. once you got into full porn mode, he had to. You couldn't. He he, he sort of had a choice, which was. Um, go into make Russ Meyer triple X porn movies, which he absolutely didn't want to do, or no. or add elements of violence because violence was becoming a big thing in the set, yep. you know, gritty violence, and so he made his movies take a distinct violent turn, you know, at a certain point in time, and be, and and become more violent and sometimes the violence is really like kind of horrifying and visceral other times it's just so over the top and ridiculous yeah that it's you know that it's in the the land of hilarity and uh yeah that was what he had to start making his movies more violent in order to keep them keep people coming to them because just a few boobs were not gonna do it anymore I mean, he definitely didn't want to get into the 1980s fake boobs deal because, you know, all of his women had a certain look. I mean, they were. Well, as he got older, he got into some, he like, you know, he would do a lot of just like photo shoots or like yeah. weird, you know, just sort of videos that were just women bouncing around. And toward the end, <laughs> he was getting into the, into the, um, silica, you know, the women who were siliconing themselves up to. You know where they had ten. You know each breast was ten pounds of of sil- silicon balloons. You know, to where it was just getting to the you know car- caricature and exaggeration. I think he probably had to. You know, I mean that's what that that's what people wanted to see. Well, if he, he, he to... called it buso. He called this condition busomania, <laughs> and he had buso. You know, he was fixated on boobs, and as he and well, once he started getting older. It started getting more, you know, pronounced and kinky. And, you know, I mean, it, in the last few years of his life, he was he went into dementia and stuff. So it yeah. might have been a that little end. bit of that, too. But, I mean, he the first interview, he must have mentioned breasts. Uh, and and what, uh, what also blow, blew my mind is he was great friends with Roger Ebert, you know, and they did the yeah. Beyond yeah, the Valley of the Dolls too. movie together. And he's like, oh, Roger's a good friend of mine. He's also a... A fellow busomaniac, so he understands me, you know. And- well, tell our listeners of the Hemingway story, which I think is really funny, and uh, that's another connection to the first part of our uh, podcast today. Yes, and 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 uh, this is actually even more direct than Herder. He he claims to have met Hemingway, who who was taken around, took to him, and was taking him around, and found out that that he was a virgin. And so Hemingway took him to the brothel and bought him his first woman. And which type of woman did he pick? <laughs> I'm sure she... No. I, I don't know that part of the story, but I'm sure no, she had he, large, yeah, large... He said, or as he would say, outrageous balconies. Outrageous balconies, yeah. Balconies you can but read Shakespeare from. From the research I've done, a genuinely nice guy, you know? Yeah, you can, you can tell. The There's big... no... You, 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 when you see the documentaries and interviews of people around him, there's none of that bit, those bitter stories that come with. And he's also, he, he was very successful. I mean, Mr. T's made so much. It that, was made for $20,000 and made a million dollars in the first couple weeks or something that was, like that. That was my moment right there when I watched that one. When I watched Mr. T's, I, 
I was just I loved it. It was it was innocent. It it it's was good just, natured. It was good natured, but still um, a little pervy. He keeps it pervy still, oh because my, that's what keeps yeah, it good. You, it, it, if it was too good natured, it would be boring. It's once you see to, the actor, Bill Bill Tease, you look at him and, and you're going, this guy doesn't belong in 19. 19- 59 or whatever whenever it was made he looks like he could walk out of the out of any hipster bar right now well, that's I mean, because just, they're it, looking retro they're looking they're, 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 they're probably that that look probably came from mr t's you yeah. know from because there's a large there's a hipster element to to russ meyer movies because it was really taken up by the sort of like marilyn manson um um burlesque rockabilly sort of movement of the 90s you know they all saw faster pussycat kill kill and i mean there were there i mean there were bands naming themselves after there's a band faster pussycat kill kill there's a band called mud honey there's mud honey did a album called motorcycle which was one of it so you know he was really popular with this sort of hipster crowd in the early 90s Or at least faster pussycat kill kill was yeah. that was sort yeah, of like what they glommed onto and yeah that whole Betty Page Betty look Page and, yeah and you know if you're out there listening and you're kind of sheepish about watching any of the movies that we talk about go ahead and watch Faster Pussycat Kill Kill it's it's fun it's rated PG by today's yeah, standards PG you know. by today's standards there's there's some bullet bras in there and a couple of sour scenes where of course you see their backs. But it's a fun, fun movie that, you know, sometimes you can watch these type of movies and you're going to get bored a little bit. But you're, you're not really bored in Faster Pussycat Ooh. Kill Kill. It's, it's just a fun movie to watch. It, wet your toes on that one. And then watch Mr. T's and then go crazy. And if, if you want to learn about Russ Meyer and Up, uh, you got to talk to me a little bit about Up. You surprised the hell out of me when you told me to watch up. I didn't know Up what is from my his favorite my favorite period of his when he's just full bull goose doing whatever the hell he wants. You know, you have scenes it opens up with with Hitler having sex with a you know, guy in a Hitler outfit having sex with a girl while a like hippie guy in a in a yeah. in a pilgrim outfit whips a, whips his ass. <laughs> and and a Chinese and a, a Japanese lady and a black lady and he's got he's got the whole gauntlet. It's in a dungeon in a Bavarian mansion that's located in Northern California, which, which it's this famous castle in Bavaria that he just put a mailbox in front of that said U.S. Route something. Sure, it's absurd. And and they kill the the Hitler wannabe by throwing a piranha fish in his bathtub and. And all of a sudden, the bathtub just turns red, and, and they have a scene. They, it's a real piranha fish in a bowl. They dump it in there, and then they have one scene that that he splices in there, where you're supposed to see the piranha fish in the pool in this in the um, the bathtub dead. But it's a tuna. It's it's a real tuna fish. It's a it's a tuna fish. The piranha fish has suddenly become a tuna, and he's huge and lying there in the bottom of the of the. Uh, a bathtub because I guess Russ Meyer says, "Well, you know that piranha was kind of small. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's build how much damage you could have done. Let's get a whole yellowfin tuna and throw it in the bottom. He got fat eating the guy. People, you know, people are so lucky these days because I mean, originally you could see Russ Meyer movies in the theater. Once they were out of the theater, 
Russ Meyer didn't sell the rights to his movie. He retained the rights to all his movies and he distributed them all himself. You had to, or if you wanted to see a Russ Meyer movie like in the 80s, you had to order his catalog, which I think was like $50, and then you had to order from him. You would get it directly from his house. Yeah, they said he would answer the phone sometimes. Sure, sure. And, and, and send you off your copy of his movies from anywhere from like, I think on the low end, they would be like $75, $80. But for the more popular ones, they're like $150, $200, you know, for his movies. So you had to really want to see some Russ Meyer movies to see him in the 80s. I never got a chance to. Now all you people, you lucky, lucky people, they're pretty oh. much all on YouTube. Pretty much Anything all of them uncut you want. In, in pretty decent definition. Um, oh, perfect! They're 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 to yeah they're watchable for the most part like Netflix quality, and uh, yeah. I mean that's just that's miraculous. It's it's a beautiful thing. I I highly recommend if you basically if you start off with Faster Pussycat Kill Kill and watch that on YouTube, you can just look over to the right where they have the other <laughs> videos that come up through the search, and you'll you'll find all of his. Yeah. his movies and they're all just they're all just unique and crazed they're, yeah, they're I never want every, boring I want everyone to start off with Faster Pussycat Kill Kill and then watch The Immoral Mr. Tease, Mr. Tease. I mean that, I, I, I just keep harping about it because there's it's filmed in a swamp with all this scuzzy water and these girls are in a rowboat and it is just beautiful in its absurdity and and it's crazy labor of love, you know, between two army buddies, like you said, and and the women are very, you know, it's just frontal nudity and, and some butts. You don't it doesn't get into anything else. Yeah, it's very tame it, compared it's to very tame stuff. by today's standards or by his standards later on. I mean, even when you look at um, Vixen and then you watch a movie like Up, you know, boom, there you go. There's all that 70s bush <laughs> in all its glory. Uh is there stages in Russ Meyer in Russ Meyers and uh, and he, and he loved what he did and I'd say he probably you know he had a sad ending to his life with a dementia but he donated just about all of his money that he had he didn't have kids and everything went to uh, went to good causes I forget what he donated everything to but it, I believe it was um, whatever disease killed um, his wife if I'm not mistaken. But uh, but just a nice guy and a good place to start, I would think, if you uh, want to follow along with some of the films that we're going to discuss on uh, this podcast. Yeah, and I'm telling you, we'll be back with more Russ Meyer. We'll probably do like oh. single films next time because he's just a huge topic. This is like yeah, we started a dip off. In the we water. started off. Yeah, we started off wanting to do just Vixen, but because I watched so much Russ Myers, I said, you know what, Chris? I don't think we're going to be able to just stay on Vixen. No. He's too important. He's too important to just stay on one movie. We've got to give everybody an overview of Vixen. I mean, of, of Russ Myers. We have to give everybody just a, a little taste of how important that this guy really was. And and I'd like to, I'd, I'd love to hear the opinion of some of the younger people that see Russ Meyer because a lot of the stuff in his videos has now been absorbed into the popular culture. So they might not look as shocking and crazy as they did no. when, when you first see him because a, a lot of it's been absorbed into the culture. But <laughs> like a lot of your music videos, this is where they came from <laughs> visually. Yeah. You can see it in Up, 
which is is still a little bit shocking when I first put it on there. You know, it was the last movie I saw, and I was just going like, "Whoa, what the hell is this going here?" But it, it it's he could tell he he had fun. It looked like everybody was having fun in those movies. I I think so. I mean, it was. You don't hear a lot of horror stories from the sets of. Uh... Nope. Meyer movies. Nope. It was probably it was probably a riot to, to do all the oh. stuff in there. Yeah, nobody had a bad thing to say about the guy, from what my uh, research said. And we don't have a bad thing to say Nothing. about him. So there. <laughs> so I think that'll about wrap it up for this month. All I can say is Herder and and Meyer are going to be back. Definitely going to be back. And who- Get your hands on both of those guys. Mm-hmm. Figuratively and literally speaking, yeah. okay? Yep. Because they are definitely maybe on the worth Eat your time. It and Beat It Facebook page, we'll come up with some contest because I have a copy of the, the Herder pamphlet, which is redundant with my Bull, Bull Cook Volume 1. So maybe we can, oh, yeah. maybe we can ca- come up with some sort of contest and some lucky listener can. Uh, can win, can own win, a little win, piece win of an, in, an entry point into the the wonderful world of George Herder. Yeah, and, it's tough to describe. But and once I can you're pay in forward it, my Herderness. Absolutely, I think that's a good way to put it. And pay for and pay forward your Russ Meyerness too. Yeah, that's easy. Just go to YouTube and <laughs> and search for Russ Meyer. You'll be you will not be disappointed. Absolutely not. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.